Coffee with Cudmore. Light 104.7 and 1570 AM. WVTL. Episode 31 of The Historians continues. We welcome uh, back to the program the famous Adirondack author Don Williams. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Don Williams has a new book out in newspaper format called Adirondack Tales of Tragedy and Tidings Between the Sacandaga River Bridges. Uh, tell us about the concept of this book. Yeah, don't you just love long titles? <laughs> I do. Well, it gives me a little... Yes. Yes, yes. The whole concept was that uh, I realized over the years that uh, the newspapers were newspapers were such a good source of, uh, of you know, the down-to-earth stories, the how people were living and what was going on. And then as I researched the Adirondacks, of course, I began to notice there were a lot of stories between Northville and Wells. So I thought I would, as kind of a tribute to newspapers, I would take those newsworthy stories and develop a, a kind of a newspaper that uh, brought, brought that to the fore, that kind of had that underlining theme that uh, newspapers are the, you know, they're, they're, they're our records. They're the, they're the keepers of uh, our history, I guess you might say. And uh, in today's world, uh, we worry a little bit about our newspapers. Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, as they used to say, the newspapers are the first version of history. I believe um, you and, and Peter Betts, and I'll bring up uh, more about Peter in a moment, have the same sure. view on this, that the newspapers your, your view, uh, the newspapers years ago used to give you more detail. Is that, would that be yeah. a, Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's what you uh, you find when you get into those old newspapers and the uh, the uh, lengthy stories and the, the uh, first-person accounts were so good because... In many cases, the uh, reporter went right to the scene and, and recorded what he saw and what he heard and, and got all those little details. I like to say, like, Paul Harvey, they, they got the rest of the story. Right. And, you, I mean, still you find that, but uh, it's not as typical. It's more slam-bam, you know, you want to get a bunch of – I know that's true when I'm doing the news myself. You feel that sure. you need to get – all of the stories out and put it into, uh, let's say, uh, a format that people can grasp quickly. Yes, that's right. It's a different world. Well, the one of the stories that's in this book we've already discussed on this program with uh, with Peter Betts, which is the Whitecaps incident. So maybe we'll yeah. hold that. We can talk ab- about that. But you have other uh, uh, stories uh, in in this book uh, between the uh, these incidents that happened between the two bridges. Uh, tell us about the 19th century artist from Wells who did an, an uh, Abraham Lincoln sculpture. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting story. Uh, he grew up on the uh, on the uh, west side of the Sacandaga River up there in Wells. And his father was a very early mason up there, and they credit him with probably building a couple of the first stone houses in Hamlin County, and, of course, a lot of the cellars and those kind of things. So Leonard Wells Volk, V-O-L-K, kind of picked up the uh, stone business from his father, apparently, and uh, and, uh, went up and down the second dog, according to the oral history, and, you know, got clay and and began to do sculptures. And uh, at the age of 22... He decided to go off and uh, seek his fortune, and, and the way things worked out, he uh, he got close to Abraham Lincoln, and they became uh, well-known to each other, and he got Abe Lincoln to let him make a face mask, and then the unusual thing was he also got Abe Lincoln 
to let him do his hands. So he did a plaster cast of Abe Lincoln's hands, which was the only time it was ever done. So he made his his name in in the sculpture world by uh, by his connection with Abraham Lincoln. He also had a connection with Stephen Douglas, and he did uh, uh, you know a statue of Stephen Douglas uh, besides Abe Lincoln. So he uh, he was a well known sculptor in in our country, and his son went on to become quite a famous artist. So. Uh, but his early beginnings were up there in the Adirondacks until he was, you know, 22 years old. Do you know if his uh, sculptures of Lincoln still exist, or can you still see them anymore? Oh yeah, there's one right in uh, right in Rochester, uh, one of the the main ones. And uh, the um, in the book, I think I put a picture of it that I took out of an old. Uh, I had an old document that just luckily had had the uh, had the sculpture in it. So. Uh, yeah, that's still there, and then there's there's a couple other places in the country where they've done takeoffs, you know, using those plaster casts and so on. Mm. So they still exist. Yeah. And what was his name again? It was Leonard Wells Volk. V O L K. Volk. Okay. I got confused. We don't. I just going to say we don't know if the Wells name is because the Wells came from the Wells settlers there in Wells, or or if they just named him after the village. Yeah. But anyway, his middle name was Wells. <laughs> All right. Well, that yeah, that's I, I got a little confused there for a moment. But Leonard Wells Volk was his name, and yeah. then another one of the your stories uh, in in this uh, book, Adirondack Tales, uh, is uh, a werewolf in the town of Benson. Yes, that was back in the day when uh, werewolves were prevalent. I guess you might say they. Uh, and I tried to explain quite a bit of it in the in the book itself, but the uh, the uh, French Canadian lumberjacks, especially, uh, had great beliefs in werewolves, and uh, they'd come down here to work on those logging drives, and of course they brought their tales of werewolves with them, and they had all those uh, beliefs that if you know a werewolf was chasing you, get on the third step of a house and they wouldn't bother you, and if you got on the third step of the church, you were really safe. The one I liked was you prick them three time, times with a, a silver needle, they'll leave you alone. I should like, I'd like to try that sometime. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd want to get that <laughs> yeah. close. But. So anyway, they had this great belief in werewolves. And uh, in, the, uh, in history, you know, uh, it's been a story for years in all kinds of history. And uh, in uh, the very early years, uh, over in uh, France, they actually, you know, had a, a period of time where they were actually executing the werewolves. And what it was was the, uh, the, from what I can gather from the scientific evidence, is that there was they would grow wheat in certain seasons. The wheat would mold some, some way, and when they made the bread out of this wheat, it would cause unusual hair growth and, and cause the person to get angry and have grotesque features and so on. So they think that the werewolves kind of grew out of this, this really a situation where this bread huh. was <laughs> was affecting them, and uh, and they executed you know thousands of people just like the witches hunt, witch hunts up in Salem, and uh, before they realized that you know it was it was just ordinary people that had gotten this condition, but anyway the uh, and then the story was printed in the in the newspapers of that day about the werewolf that came to Wells or came to Benson. It was a lumberjack who came there and fell in love with a local girl and went off in the woods for a little walk and uh, turned into a werewolf and uh, and scared his poor wife and 
Ah, uh, we're talk, talking with Don uh, Williams about his uh, latest book of stories from the Adirondacks. Um, you have a story about Jello in the book. That's yeah, that was kind of a interesting one too because the uh, the Jello people didn't know the story, and uh, I contacted them, and it was quite a revelation for them because Don Woodward, who inherited sixty some million dollars through the Jello company, uh, wanted a place to land his. Uh, seaplanes. He didn't fly himself, but he had a great interest in aviation, and uh, he uh, he uh, he bought, actually bought Amelia Earhart's one of her planes that she'd gone across the ocean with, and he, so he was really into aviation. So he wanted a place to land his his uh, seaplanes, and apparently he, uh, as we can figure out, he he must have flown from Leroy, New York, where he lived, all the way up over the Adirondacks, and that's the time when the wealthy people in our country were building great Adirondack estates. I think that's what he wanted to do. So he um, he apparently saw this land in Giffords Valley and decided that would be a good place to build his his lake for his seaplanes. So uh, in the newspaper articles, I saw just a little blurb one day that said uh, a real estate person said that the uh, Jell-O air was buying up the farms in Giffords Valley. <laughs> so I went and looked in the in the courthouse all the old deeds and sure enough he he bought one farm right after another 15 or 20 of them i figured he just went to the farmhouse and said to the people here's how much i'll give you <laughs> he bought all those farmhouses all the way around through giffords valley there and then he put in a dam and dammed up the the little stream that was coming down through to the sacandaga and uh and built that kind of a big flat lake there Really? Unfortunately, what he didn't realize was that Gifford Mountain right there had a downdraft. And every time they tried to land a seaplane, they had to fight the downdraft. And so he was only there 10 or 12 years because it just didn't work. And he sold out to uh, Doc Winnie from Johnstown. And then when I grew up, it, we used to call it Winnie's Pond. And that's what most people call it today. But it's no good for seaplanes, but it's a nice, nice big <laughs> little lake there back in the woods. And, Isn't that something? And, uh, well, in a way... Private. What's that? No, I was going to say it's kind of a miniature version of a Great Sacandaga Lake, maybe. Yeah, it's man-made yeah, it's up there in the woods, and uh, it's still privately owned. So, uh, it's not open to the public at all. But he uh, he tried, and then I wrote to the uh, historian in Leroy, New York, to find out uh, you know if she knew any more about the story and what happened and so on. And uh, she was all excited. She called me up, and she. Uh, made arrangements to send a lot of photographs to me because they never knew where his his Adirondack estate was. She had these pictures of log cabins and kids playing out in the woods and all these photographs. They never knew where they were taken. And, of course, you're right in the background, and most of them you can see Gifford Mountain. So I was able to identify all our pictures for her. So they were they were so pleased in their historic group there to find out where they're where the uh, Woodwards had their great Adirondack estate. Well, that's great. It's, you're very helpful there. Yeah. Don Williams uh, with us talking about the Adirondacks. Well, let's go to the story that we've already we discussed it on the program uh, the other day with Peter Betts because he did some follow-up work on it, uh, the story yes. of the Whitecaps in Northville. Right. Yes, that um, that was another one I had a. You know, quite an article written in the paper, quite a lot of details. And, and if you look in the in my book, I copied some of the headlines and so on. And, uh, and it was quite a story where the uh, uh, 
a family was upset with one of the sons because he was he was going with another uh, lady that they didn't want him to go with, and uh, they uh, decided that they would put white caps on and and like a Ku Klux Klan group and they give him a good scare. And according to the article I had, the uh, they um, took one of the men out of the house where he was and tarred and feathered him, and then they went back after the the boy they wanted to scare, and he uh, pulled out a gun and shot one of the white cap people, not knowing that it was his brother. So he killed his brother. And uh, I called Peter because uh, I had the original newspaper article, but I didn't have any papers that came beyond that. And I know that he, being a former county historian, he had access to all the old newspapers through his computer, which I don't have. So I asked him if he could find out if the boy got you know, put in jail or, or fine or what happened to him. And uh, so he, he very kindly <laughs> traced out that. I guess you talked about it on the show. He traced out that story, and he found out that the boy was, was released because he was uh, his life was threatened and it was self-defense. Mm. And that those who went after him, who survived, they, I guess some time later, were fined because yeah. the boys you're describing them had had left the area, so there were no uh, the DA had no witnesses to present against him, so they got off right. very lightly for harassing him. Yeah, it was quite a complicated story, but it tied in. I didn't realize that the, the other areas had these white cap uh, groups that got together. Peter found out quite a bit about white caps when he was looking. <laughs> right. Apparently, yeah. this was a was something that you know was carried on in other places. Don Williams. Because if you want to scare somebody, just put a pillowcase over your head and go after them. Yeah. Uh, Don Williams uh, joins us. Adirondack Tales of Tragedy and Tidings Between the Sacandaga River uh, Bridges. I can't remember if we established at the beginning uh, the business about the river bridges. All these stories take place between these uh, two bridges, and you grew up at the town with one of the bridges, and your wife grew up in the other, or something like that? Right. Yeah. Kind of interesting, yeah. The the bridge crosses right there at Norfolk, so you can get from Route 30 over into the village of Norfolk, and then you go up to Wells, and uh, you go right up through town and up into town. You you in order to go north, you cross the bridge on the second dog of there. So I grew up right down, actually in Giffords Valley, right where the Jello Company had their lake, and uh, and my wife grew up right in the center of a uh, right in the center of Wells, and. Um, her house in Wells now is the town museum right oh. across the post office. So the former Bice Homestead is uh, has been very nicely turned into a museum. I'm so glad they saved it and done a nice job with it. Very good. Now, um, tell us about the uh, the book. You, uh, Unlike most of your other books, which uh, have been published by Arcadia, and they're largely picture books, uh, you, you publish this yourself, and, and tell us where it's available and so forth. Yes, what I did was uh, back in the early years when I, 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 you know, I was a school principal and I was concerned about the kids learning local history. So when I, I uh, came to Gloversville as a principal, I, I wrote the Nick Stoner stories. I did 33 stories and did a hardcover book and self-published it and had very good results with it. You know, it, it went real well. And then I did one on the Salmon's Boys and did a couple other books. And, and uh, then I went with Arcadia, which is a national publication. I did six books for them which are the 200 vintage photographs with the stories that go with them, which is great because they're, they're saving all those old uh, photographs.
have. So I, uh, what I did with this one was I, uh, I had it published by the Leader Herald, and, or printed by the Leader Herald, and um, and done it and did it in the newspaper format. And figured it's kind of a local book; it's not going to be, you know, a nationwide seller of any kind. So it's actually in all the uh, the bookstores. You can get it in Johnstown, Mysteries on Main Street, uh, the Mohawk American Gloversville has them. The uh, Adirondack Country Store in Northville does a great job. And I'll be up there Thanksgiving weekend autographing at the Adirondack Country Store. And the Red Barn in Norfolk and Lakeside Gifts in Norfolk also carry it. If you want to get one in Amsterdam, the Bookhound has it in downtown Amsterdam. And up in Wells, the Lakeside store has them. And Inspector Charlie Johns, who has a credit Adirondack um, bookstore there. And, of course, the Adirondack Museum in Blue Mountain Lake always sold a lot of my books. They do a good job there. And... Um, Hoss's store over in Long Lake has them. So from here to Long Lake, they're, they're spread out pretty good. <laughs> and I, honestly, I haven't seen it. And, um, I, I, you know, I've heard, I know what some of the things in the book was able to talk to you about it, but you described it as, and Peter described it as being like a news. I'm not quite sure. What does it look like? I mean, is it a newspaper or is it a book? It's actually, uh, it's a newspaper, but we, uh, we uh, compromised on the paper. We didn't use newsprint because it's so thin and it doesn't last. So we went to a heavier white paper, and uh, it's printed actually just like a newspaper. It's uh, 11 by 17. We wanted to keep it, you know, kind of a not a big size, but yet big enough so it's newspapery, and it's got 40 pages in it. So, and besides those uh, 16 stories, I interspersed it with what I call Adirondack sampler. I did all kinds of other little Adirondack stories, you know, facts stuck in there. Uh, old things like, uh, what you might say, uh, the health-giving features of the mountain. I did a little bit on stagecoaches. I did an article on outhouses because when I did that column for the uh, for the Amsterdam Recorder and the Governor's the Leader, I uh, I did articles on outhouses. People always loved those because they, they kind of take you back to the old days. And uh, I just did little topics like that and ran them through the, so it's, it's very newspapery. You know, it's just like you would buy a mm-hmm. newspaper. So, and, uh, and, 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 and anyway, and, and it folds in half. Oh, it does. Uh, okay. We designed it so that you can fold it in the middle and it'll actually fit into a mailing envelope, one of those brown envelopes. So it's, it can be mailed. Easily. And, and so it's, it's a newspaper of the, the size, sort of like the Leader Herald, right? I mean, or is it a... What they call yeah, it a tabloid. Yeah, Leader Herald, yeah. Or is it uh, more like a tabloid? You know, when you read it like Yeah, a if book. you looked at it, you might think it's a penny saver or one of those newspapers. Okay, it, gotcha. It, gotcha. It tends to be that that typical size. Well, it's uh, good to hear you got another uh, book out, uh, Don. And I uh, did, uh, and I do want to credit her, I did uh, read the article that was written about you uh, by Caroline Murray for. Uh, the the recorder and maybe some of their other uh, publications and and she asked you know, a logical question so what do you think you mentioned that you're 80 but you're still hoping uh, to do another book yes well I, I I collected vintage tools my whole life so I have all those beautiful old tools and I you know I did a lot of speaking around the groups and uh, on history and Adirondacks and so on and and I, I found more and more that people didn't recognize the tools and, and, and in no way had an idea how they were used. We lost that whole generation of people that used those vintage tools. So, and I, you know, I've got Eric Sloan's books on tools and so on. 
you've got it wrong. You better do it this way. <laughs> so I, uh, I've been taking notes on that. And I, what I want to do is get a, a really a how-to or a descriptive book on, uh, on the how to use those old tools. So I'm going to, I am working on photographing each tool now. And, uh, and I'm going to, um, I think I'm going to go with a national publisher. I, I've got a couple, uh, well, you know, my reputation, uh, if you're a writer, you know how it is. The, uh, your reputation kind of helps you because, uh, Arcadia people know, know me and, uh, they have some people that have, have, uh, previously been there and they, of course, know I'm, I did six books for them that that, that would be a good seller. So they, uh, they've called me twice to see if they could do it. So I'm, I'm gonna mull it over and, try to decide which way I want to do it, but I'm not going to self-publish this one. I'm going to get somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a very uh, fascinating topic, and I would say maybe a, a, a you know your regular audience, but a whole different audience, because there, there must be people that are just uh, interested in tools. You know what I mean? Everybody's... Yeah. There's such a history of those tools, and they're, they're just so well-made and, and uh, so functional, and, and they speak well of our ancestors. <laughs> And I just, uh, I just hate to lose that whole thought, that whole generation of people that, you know, that used them and, and appreciated them. But it's, it, we're here today because of those tools. Yeah. Do you still use them? Well, I could, I could use them, but I, and there's some that I do use, like, uh, the, uh, you can, uh, I got an apple crush, uh, crusher and, you know, brass and so on. <laughs> and, and, uh, they're, um, they're, they're useful. Each one is useful in its own way, and uh, and if I if I have a need for one, I go ahead and use it. <laughs> okay. Well, Don Williams, I thank you very much uh, for joining us again. The uh, new book uh, published by the Leader Herald uh, is called Adirondack Tales of Tragedy and Tidings Between the Sacandaga River Bridges. Don Williams, right. the Adirondack historian and Adirondack author. Thank you very much, Bob. I want to thank you. I I appreciate the work you're doing. I'm so glad you chose to keep your career going. Okay, thank you. Take care, Don. Sure thing. Right. And thank you for listening to Episode 31 of The Historian.